Let's pray again. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us your word. Enlighten us, O Holy Spirit, to the wondrous things found in the word of God. In Christ's name, amen. Christ prays for his disciples and no other. He said in verse 6 how he manifested, he revealed the name of the Father to them that were given by the Father to him from out of the world. And they are the Lord's. They are the Father's, those who are given by him to Christ. Such as what is said in another place in the Bible, even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The Bible teaches the doctrine of election and predestination, that God chooses his people, that even before we choose Christ, which we do, we have to do, make a decision. We have to uh, be responsible to the gospel call, which is to come to Christ. But even before we can come to Christ, even before we can choose Christ, God has to have already chosen us from before the foundation of the world. And we don't know who are the chosen, nor is it in one sense our business to know. All our business is to do is to, is to, by faith, read the Word of God and by faith receive it from God and make it our own. We are responsible to repent of our sins and to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we do, we will know that we are those who are the remnant according to the election of grace. And not until then. And so his prayer is for them. His prayer is for those who were written in the Lamb's book of life, according to the book of Revelation. And the Lamb is representative of our Lord as the sacrifice of his people. And so it is these for whom he prays. As he says in verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are divine. Now this is the start of the revelation. It was for me when I first read it. Because all the while I thought I was making the decision. Alone. Without any help. Without any coercion as it were. Without any uh, uh, pressure. And yet as I delved more deeply into the word. As I began to uh, follow the lamb. I realized that, that this was all a gift. This was all a grace. This is all of God and not of me. And I receive that. I, I embrace that, although I have questions uh, because who has the mind of God but, but him? And, uh, and yet we have the mind of Christ insofar as having the understanding of salvation and our need of Christ in our lives. And as far as those other questions, why me and why not others? Why not maybe even others in our family that 
died without Christ. I can't, I can't uh, reconcile that except to give it to God. And that's what we all must do. Look at uh, Matthew 24, 31. Matthew 4, 21. And our Lord's speaking of the last days. Actually, let me say the last day of the last days. In Matthew 24, 31. And he, that is the Son of Man, spoken of in the previous verse, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And so it's very clear, Christ prayed for his disciples, particularly his immediate 13, actually, because there was two that replaced Judas, who was removed from the apostolic band, uh, Matthias and Joseph, according to Acts, and none other. So the Lord prayed for them and no one else. And we might throw in the Apostle Paul, who was uh, an apostle born out of due time, as he describes his own conversion experience and his becoming an apostle, a sent one of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Christ prayed for them to grow in grace and in knowledge. In verse 6, and they have kept thy word. You read the whole of that verse in John 17. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested thy name. I have shown, revealed your name unto the man which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. They have kept your word, Father. What word? According to verse 8, the words given by the Father to his Son, just like they were given by the Father to Christ. In other words, the gospel. The gospel. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. People generally do not buy the fact that Christ came from heaven, that Christ is who he said he is, and that is the Son of the Father, the Son of God. They could probably buy the fact that he is the Son of Man, but that only, but not the Son of God. Well, these who are given in God's wonderful and mysterious plan of salvation to Christ in time, in God's good time, when they would hear the call of the gospel in their lifetime and come to faith just like each one of us that are Christians now did, um, they would believe that thou hast sent me, is what he prayed to his father. It's like what John says earlier in the book of John, in John 1, 10 through 14. John 1, 10 through 14. He that is Christ, the light of the world, as he is described by John in the beginning, and the Word, the Word, the living Word, 
He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Isn't that amazing? The very creator of the world was not recognized by the world that he made. It's like being the king of a nation, and, and no one in the nation knows you, or at least acknowledges that you are their king. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, which I believe is the nation of Israel. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power, authority to become the sons of God, which is techna, or children, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. See that? Them that believe on his name. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He is the living epitome of truth. He is grace incarnate. Peter would say later, and this is Peter who stumbled, as you recall, over Christ, stumbled over his work and would have stood in the way of his work even as much as others endeavored to stand in his way as we will learn about such as Satan. But here he is saying in the end of his second letter in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, what? Second Peter 3, 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. The way that you will avert being led away with the error of the wicked is by what? Knowing the truth. So that you will detect what is true from what is false. It's like that uh, proverbial uh, teller in the bank who know, doesn't know all of the counterfeit varieties, the Heinz 57 counterfeit varieties of bills from the $1 bill to the $1,000 bill, even a $10,000 bill, which is not in circulation anymore, by the way. It's in the Smithsonian Institute. But knows the real McCoy and will study that and, the, and will know that so that when the one that is bogus comes along, they will know there's something fishy here in Denmark or in the United States. And that's how we are also taught to not be led away with the error of the wicked and fall from our own steadfastness, right? So the Lord prays that we grow in grace and in knowledge and that we keep his word and not lose it. But also Christ prays for their preservation in the faith. 
according to verse 10 of our passage in John 17. And all mine are thine, he says in prayer to his Father. And thine are mine, and I am glorified in them, meaning in his disciples, in the 13 or the 14, that would be his sent out ones. And that's what apostle means. Jesus is glorified first in, our, in their hearts and in their minds. They treasure him personally, savingly, his praise and honor and glory. Because God, when he saved them, caused his light to shine into their hearts as the light of creation that shined into the darkness of this universe in the beginning to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Picture the face of Christ shining, the light of God shining upon the face of Christ. But no one except the disciples can see that. No one can see that aura. You ever seen these caricatures, cartoons of Christians that have an aura about them and have maybe this halo over them. Well, our Lord has that. Spurgeon once said that if they knew that you were a Christian, if they could see that you are heaven-born, they would tip their hat to you. Well, you know what? We who are God's people recognize Christ in a heartbeat. When he comes back and terror will fill the, fill the hearts of the world, Joy unspeakable and full of glory will fill the hearts of God's people when they see him as he is. And one day they will, even in that moment of time, be with him. They shall be, for they shall be like him and they will see him as he is, the Bible says. Also, he prays in verse 11, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Now the truth is, is that all of God's people are one. And yes, he doesn't want disunity in his church. And yes, there is a lot of that. And sadly, to the detriment of our testimony. And in church history, we have evidence of that time and time again, how, how we've not been a good example of Christian love. To one another and that's to our shame but our Lord here is acknowledging that that we are one and that we are chosen of God and that we are redeemed by Christ and that we are called by his spirit and in that sense we are strong in that sense we are one we are uh, some call the church invisible because of the fact that the invisible, the invisible God dwells in us by His Spirit. And there's strength in, in unity. There's strength in unity. But we also must recognize that we don't stand in our own strength, that we are not to be proud, that we are to be humble servants one to another, and that those who would be chief must be servant of all, those who would be a master must be a disciple and a teacher of others. And remember especially that it is God who must keep us. Just as he 
Pray, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, meaning on the basis of all that your name represents, all of your attributes, all of your works, all of your offices, all of your salvation. And then he himself kept his disciples, as he said in the, in, in the following verse. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. I can say that I've run the course, I've finished the race, and I have fulfilled your purpose, your mission for me. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. There's none who will be lost. There will be none in hell for whom the Lord Jesus died. Except for one of the apostolic band. And who is that? Judas Iscariot. Called in this verse, in this passage, and in verse 12 also, the son of perdition. Perdition is the fiery, the fiery judgment that is to come upon uh, the end of the world. And that the scripture might be fulfilled. He is that familiar friend with whom the Lord walks and in whom the Lord trusts, who would betray him, who would actually sell him. Sell him for what? 30 pieces of gold. That's all. Or silver. 30 pieces of silver. He sells the Son of God. But that the scripture might be fulfilled. And again, these these scriptures that we are upon, that are upon us, uh, this doctrine that uh, that is over us of the sovereignty of God raises questions. I realize that que questions that uh, perplex, have perplexed, and continue to perplex minds and hearts of men, even to their being detracted from the truth and discouraged from coming to Christ. But let this not discourage or cause you to go away from Christ, as it did many of his disciples in his earthly ministry at one point, where it says many of them stopped walking with him. Don't let that happen. Look at Jude 1.1. 1, 1. Jude 1.1. 1, 1. Almost at the very tail end of the New Testament and the Bible. Right before the book of Revelation. Jude 1 1 reads Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, they are set apart, in other words, by God the Father to be those who are given to Christ to redeem and preserved in Christ Jesus. That's an interesting statement. And preserved in Christ Jesus, meaning that they were preserved in life until that time that they would be called by Christ. And then finally called. Isn't that interesting? That the Lord preserves his people well, he would have to if they are to be saved because if they died before they were saved, they would be in hell. But he preserves them in order that he might save them and then continue to preserve them and keep them for his purposes. And so let's be thankful 
that Christ also prays for the preservation of our faith. And might I also throw in there the perseverance of the saints, meaning that we have that responsibility to be faithful to the Word of God, to keep the Word of God, to keep the Gospel, even as we are being kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in that last day. And then fourthly, Christ prayed that their joy may be full. Back in John 17, verse 13, he says in his prayer, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This could be Jesus' joy anticipated in his return to his Father and to heaven such as what I've shared with you before. Perhaps I believe this is in the Bible study of this past week. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So just as Jesus looked forward with joy that sustains him through his dark hour, the hour of darkness, to endure the cross, to despise the shame that would be attendant upon his sufferings on behalf of his people. He is finally set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so this same joy of knowing what is at the end, no matter what the degree of suffering and hardship may be in the interim, before such time would sustain him, it would sustain us as well. His disciples needed it, especially as he is already predicting that he is going to go ahead of them and that they would be left to brave a cold and cruel world on their own without his presence, without his protection, without his intervention. They would be on their own. And so it was important that they have this passion that was lit by the joy that comes with believing in a victorious and successful Savior. That he wasn't thwarted in the least. That he wasn't a defeated Lord and Savior as was purported by the religious leaders and by even the church of his day that had pretty much given up on Messiah, on Christ. That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves could also mean the inner joy that comes again in knowing that you belong to the Savior. Such as what Solomon states in the Song of Solomon, I am my beloved and he is mine and his banner over me is love. Bernard of Clairvaux, who is one of the authors of hymns in our hymnal, uh, wrote in around the time of 1100 AD, I, uh, Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. Thy truth unchanged hath ever stood. Thou savest those that 
on thee call. To them that seek thee, thou art good. To them that find thee, all in all. We taste thee, O thou living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee, the fountain head, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. Our restless spirits yearn for thee, where'er our changeful lot is cast. Glad when thy gracious smile we see, blessed when our faith can hold thee fast. O Lord, be thou our strength and stay, make all our moments calm and bright. Chase all dark thoughts of sin away, shed o'er us here thy holy light. Amen. Fifthly, Christ prayed for their sanctification. Sanctification is part of salvation. There's justification, which is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. There's sanctification, which is the process in which we are saved from the power of sin. And then there is glorification, when we will be saved from the very presence of sin. Christ prayed for their sanctification. He says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. You know, it's not easy to be a committed Christian in the world, right? You stand out especially when you open your mouth for Jesus. You stand out especially when as a mature believer you live for Christ and people see the difference. And yes, there, there are those whom the Lord brings to him through your testimony. There are many more who are turned off. He says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sometimes you feel like you want to leave the world and go to be with the Lord in heaven, where everybody loves one another. It seems so oppressive living in this world. Sometimes the Apostle Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It would be gain to leave this life, to die and to go to be with Christ. And yet, you can see, even by that statement, he was torn. In fact, he explains that he was torn in the next verse. Uh, this is, by the way, Philippians 1 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain but if I live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor yet what I shall choose I want not that means to say it's not my choice it's not my choice whether I'm going to stick around for a while or whether I'm going to go uh, or even when I'm going to go that's not my choice that's not my call that's the Lord. Nevertheless, he says, he goes on to say, I am in a straight betwixt two, meaning I'm torn because I really want to go. <laughs> I have this desire to depart. You know how some uh, folks that have been suffering in this life, and we have, I've seen uh, a few uh, in this past year and a half uh, who have wanted to do that very thing. Uh, it's real. 
It's real. But to depart because you want to be with the Lord. Not just to, to be relieved of your suffering. What Paul is saying is that, essentially, that, that that's real too. Because he says it's to be with Christ, which is far better. And so you may be torn apart between serving Christ on earth and being with Christ in heaven. And that's, that's good. That's a good tension. Nevertheless, if your life is anything like that of the Apostle Paul at this juncture of the road, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Because of what? Because of your service. Because you're here, because you have a work for God to do. And that's good. And it's really wonderful when I see these people, even someone that is well on in years in their 80s and 90s, that talks this way. That says, you know what, this is a hard road, but I know why I'm here. I had this experience when we had the July 4th picnic in this building. Picnic was inside. <laughs> and uh, a woman in her 90s said this. And it was just amazing. And it just touched my heart. It made me feel ashamed in a way because, you know, I'm complaining about this and that and the other thing. And here she is without a single complaint except that she wants to be with her Lord. But for the meantime, here she is. We are done when he says we are done. There's no retirement plan, at least from the Christian life. And then one day, he will call us home. But until then, until then, our Lord goes on to pray. He prays that we be kept. That is, we be protected, preserved, especially from the devil, the world, and the flesh. The devil, verse 15, called the evil. Actually, it should be the evil one. That's really what that should be. Um, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, Heavenly Father, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one, Satan, Diablos. Peter says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's who we, we need prayer for protection from. And the world, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Yes, we are in the world, but we are not of the world, are we? John says, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness, and that too should be better rendered under the wicked one and his authority, at least for the interim. Christ goes on to say, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. It is through the truth, the truth, that we will be preserved. It will be the truth that will make us free from the flesh and from all the uh, accoutrements that go along with living with the sinful nature that is with us, that will continue with us until that very moment that we depart from this life, when we will be translated into the kingdom of heaven. And until then, we are to use all of our powers for one thing, and that is his purpose, his purpose. And we know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That is what we live for. That is what we are shooting for. That is our purpose and our modus operandi by which we chart our course daily, weekly, however you do it. Finally, for the long haul of this present life. Lastly, Christ prayed for their evangelism and missions. He said in his prayer in verses 18 and 19, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified in the truth. The 13, as I mentioned to you, including Joseph and Matthias, who replaced, two replaced Judas, as it were, would be commissioned as ministers and missionaries into the world. And they would be set apart to follow the example of the chief shepherd, of the chief minister and pastor, of the chief missionary who came sent by the Father into this world to save us from our sins. Who even said in another place, in Mark 10 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That is the pattern. That is the example. That is how we are to live the course of our lives. To serve and not to be served, to serve others, and not to serve ourselves first. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, by love serve one another. And so these are the ways in which our Lord prayed, or these are the prayer requests, if I may put it that way, of the Lord for his people in his high priestly prayer. In this case, for his immediate apostles who were commissioned to start the church, the worldwide, the global church of Jesus Christ, the church of the living God. As I've already noted, it is not easy to live a separate life for Christ, is it? I don't know about you, but time and time again, I ask myself, I pinch myself and I say, is this for real? Have you ever thought, for example, how so many people could be wrong and one be right? How I could be saved and others lost? Sometimes you feel like an oddball. At least I do. may even feel tempted at times to apologize for coming across too strongly as a Christian. Well, you know, I believe the advice of Scripture is this. Stop feeling that way. Stop feeling that way. And I don't mean be a stoic. I don't mean uh, just, you know, be a man. Oh, yes, we are to be men in understanding and children malice. But no, that's the enemy of our soul speaking at that point. Because ultimately, we're not responsible for anyone except for ourselves. You're responsible for yourself. And I for myself. And our goal anyway is not to convert anyone. It's not in our power. We have to leave that to God. Paul says, I plant, Apollos waters, 
God gives the increase. And so we are to be seed sowers of the true gospel. There is only one. We don't twist anyone's arm in order to come into the kingdom. But the key, I think, can be found in a verse such as Matthew 13, 23. It's the parable of the sower and the seed. Matthew 13, 23. And this is the case of the fourth ground, which represents a fourth kind of heart, called the good ground. But he that received seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, and this is the key, and understandeth it, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. We're not here to do anything more than to shed light and understanding upon the Word of God. If we can get into that person's mind and with the help of God, His Spirit, that is, give understanding and light to the Word. Even if it is just initial light, even if it is that initial dawning of the light, or perhaps you're coming along where someone else has sown and shedding more light. You've done a good thing. And that's all the Lord asks of us anyway, right? Because all of us are going to be an example of the learning curve anyway. Life is that way. Learning the Word of God. Even our Lord, as we've noted before, did not give everything to his disciples. In fact, he said at the end of his ministry, there are things I cannot tell you because you're not ready for them. But there will be one who will come called the Comforter who will take my place and he will shed light upon your heart and mind that you do not have now in my absence when I'm at the right hand of my Father. And he will lead you into all truth. And he will tell you the things that I have only begun and broke ground on when I was on this earth. And so, be patient and don't fear. 1 John 5.20, I'll close with that. 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we are thankful for your son's high priestly prayer for himself, as we heard last time, and now, Lord, for his disciples and apostles whom he was preparing through prayer to take over when he would be gone from them. And we are thankful for this preparation. 
we are thankful for this final closing prayer to bring the unction and the blessing of God upon them. Because as they go, so would multitudes that would be her, uh, recipients of, of their message go. As they would go, so would those in the pews go. Even as pastors who are faithful in proclaiming the word of God versus those who are not. And so we are thankful that, yes, in a sense, you, you weeded out what needed to be in order that those who really were reliable and dependable and faithful would carry the word far and wide, even into the uttermost reaches of this globe. And we are, Lord, the fruit of that ministry. And we are thankful.